Well, good morning. I'm glad to be with you here this morning. Thank you for taking time out of your day to worship with us. I always pray that our time together is encouraging to our hearts and, and glorifying to God. If you don't know me, my name is Josh Stanley. I get to serve here as a pastoral intern, um, so hopping around doing whatever, whatever is needed. Uh, as part of my internship, I'm actually finishing up my schooling up at uh, Heritage, finishing my undergrad. And while I was up there, one of my buddies invited me to play in a church volleyball league. And I thought, this is great. I love sports, volleyball especially, because I played in high school. Uh, I'm up at the school the night that the, uh, that the league is on anyways, so why not? I'll give it a shot. Um, but I quickly found myself going through a bit of a cycle with my attitude, if I'm honest. You see, my team, we're not very good. In, in fact, that's quite an understatement. We're horrible. Um, and that's, I'm not kidding. We've won possibly three games since September, and we've played at least one every week. Yeah, it's, we're pretty bad. And so the cycle that my attitude goes through is this. I get excited to play volleyball, and I'm lacing up my shoes, and then I go out, and we get, we get trounced. And I get in the car after the volleyball game, and I'm, I'm ready to go home. My fiance Bethany drives up to school with me, and she's in the passenger seat. And I'm going back, and I am just so frustrated as I'm driving. And she says to me, she goes, I don't really understand why you keep doing this. This happens every week. You get upset, you get in the car, and then the next week you play again. And every week I say the same thing I said. I say, you know what? It's not happening anymore because I'm, I'm done. I'm just not playing. I'm not playing ever again. And she looks at me and gently but kindly says, Josh, I understand that you think that, but that's not what's going to happen. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she says, you're frustrated now. You'll forget about it. Next week, you'll be lacing up your shoes and saying that you'll do a lot better, that you'll either play harder or you'll change your mindset or you'll just keep a positive attitude. And then two hours later after the game, we'll be sitting back in the car and you'll be upset again. And as much as I hate to admit this, she is 100% right. Every week after the game, I say, I am done. I'm not playing anymore. I quit. And yet the next week rolls around and I find myself lacing up my shoes and saying, okay, I'm done being angry. I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm, I'm going to have a positive attitude. Never again. I'm not getting too competitive. But the same thing happens every single week. I'll be better. I'm not doing that again. I'm done with that. I, new, new week, new me. I'm never getting angry with this again. I'll be different this time. And it's a funny story, and it got me thinking, we do that a lot. And even if you're not super, super competitive like me, and even if you could care less about volleyball, uh, we do the same thing. But we do it with something much more serious than just a volleyball game. We do it with our lives. I cannot count the amount of times that my anger or my frustration has gotten the better of me, and I act out, and I fall short, and it, all of a sudden it feels like the dust is clearing. And I look back and I go, come on, Josh, you're better than that. You know better. You act better. You should be better. 
And every time I say, enough is enough, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. Think to yourself, how many times have you had that moment with your sin? Where you look back and you say, I'm done. I'm never, ever doing that again. That's the old me. I would never, ever do that. How many I would nevers or never agains have you had in your life? How many have you had with the things you know are wrong, but you went to anyway? I would love to sit here and tell you that I could count the amount of times it happened on one hand or even two hands or my hands and all my toes. But when I'm honest myself, it happens far too often. And in those times when we realize what we've done, it just feels to blow our whole world away. When we realize we've done what we swore we'd never do, or we swore we'd never do again, it feels hopeless. You feel brokenhearted. You feel angry, frustrated, guilty. Sometimes you can seem to feel too far gone. And what do you do in that moment? What are we supposed to do? When the weight and the guilt of my sin and my shame hangs over me, where do I go and what do I do? As a church, this year, we're looking at our Easter series. We've just started in the past couple of weeks. And what we're doing this year is we're looking at the resurrected Jesus. What does it mean to have an encounter with a resurrected Savior? What does it mean to us today that Jesus actually rose from the dead? And we're looking at different places where Jesus, after he's been risen, interacts with different people in different times and teaches them different things. And today we're going to look at a story to see how Jesus interacts with us right then and there. When we're brokenhearted and torn down and just feel unforgivable and too far gone. But we're going to see that that actually isn't the case. We're not unforgivable. We're not too far gone and we're not out of his reach. So we're going to be in John chapter 21 today. But just before we get there, would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, our good and gracious King, you are rich in mercy and you are abounding in steadfast love. You are a refuge and an ever-present help in times of trouble. We thank you for the time that we have to join together and look into your word. I pray that you speak to us this morning and that wherever we are, you'd remind us that we are never too far gone. We're not beyond your reach. Would our time together bring us to a greater understanding of you, a greater understanding of your love, and bring us to a greater love for you. And we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21, right at the end of the book. It's the fourth gospel, very last chapter. And we're going to look at a particular person here. And no, it's not the Sunday school answer of Jesus. He is there and he plays quite the pivotal role. But we're actually going to look at Peter. And just as you turn there, I'll give you a bit of background on what's going on. Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus had these 12 disciples that he fought, he came and brought with him and he taught them. And Peter's one of those guys. But more than that, Peter's actually one of the 
special ford that he took everywhere. And when Jesus had called Peter, he gave him a new name. He used to be called Simon, now he's called Peter. And he says, I'm going to call you Peter because you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Peter, you're going to play a pivotal role in what I'm doing. And Peter is built up to be a leader. And throughout the Gospels, we see Peter as a zealous and almost impulsive disciple who is ready to do anything that Jesus asks him to. But here, Peter is a little different. You see, just a few days earlier, Jesus was sharing a Passover meal with uh, his disciples and different people. And he's teaching them a bunch of things before he goes away. He's telling them what's going to happen, and they don't understand all of it. And at one point, he says that he is going away, and he's going to a place that they cannot follow. And Peter doesn't understand, and he has this interesting interaction with Peter. In John 13, just a few chapters earlier, it says, Peter asked him, Lord, why can't I follow you? I would lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you are going to disown me three times. Peter says, Lord, let me follow you. I would do anything for you. I would die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, I know you think that. But there's going to be a time very soon where you won't even live for me. You're not going to admit that you know me. And this, this wouldn't have been easy for Peter to hear, and he wouldn't have understood it. But we actually see this account in all four Gospels. Jesus is arrested, and as he's being sentenced to death, we see Peter deny him on three separate occasions. Someone comes to Peter and says, don't you know that Jesus guy who's being put to death? And Peter says, no, that's not me. You have me confused. And then someone else says, I'm pretty sure you were the guy. And Peter says, no, it's not me. You have the wrong guy. And a third person comes and says, no, I, because you were with him and you followed him. And Peter, it says, Peter brought down curse upon curse upon himself and said, no, I do not know him. He's, gone, he's saying, if I know him, then kill me now. He's bringing down curses upon himself. And as soon as it happens, as soon as that third denial happens, says Peter, here's a rooster crow, and he sees Jesus, and he remembered what he said, and he's brokenhearted, and he goes away, and he weeps. That was Peter's never again moment. That was Peter's, I would never, Lord, I'm never going to deny you, and yet he does. And so Peter then sees his Savior, his teacher, his friend, beaten, broken, and put to death. And the last thing he said about him was, I don't even know him. But then, as the story goes, Jesus actually is raised back to life. He's risen again. And he sees Peter two more times before this account. And they don't really address what's happened. But Peter's seen Jesus. He's seen that Jesus has risen from the dead, exactly as he said he would. And this is where we jump into our text today. So John 21, after Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, 
by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but not that night they caught nothing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Peter, Peter, are you kidding me? After everything you've seen, you've seen water to wine, you've seen the dead raised, you've seen him crucified, and now you've seen him risen again, you're going to say, I'm going fishing? Now, to be fair, by trade, Peter was a fisherman, but since Jesus has called him, he's, a, he, he's neglected that life. He's been following Jesus full time for three years now. And now, after seeing Jesus risen from the dead, I'm going fishing? Really? Peter's seen so many amazing things, and yet, still looming over him is his failure. His never again, his I would never moment. And so he, go, oh, he goes back. He goes to the only thing he knows, fishing. And I think this is so easy for us to do as well. We slip up, we fail, we sin. We deny Jesus in our words or in our actions. And we look back and we say, well, I guess, I guess I'm not cut out for this. I guess this following Jesus thing just isn't for me. And we go back to the only life we know. Have you felt that way? Because I know I have. You know, maybe this Jesus thing just doesn't work for me. And we see it here in Peter. You know, maybe I am just a fisherman. But the hope that this text brings us is that we don't stay there. Actually, we see something next that is completely different. And it's the first thing that we can take as encouragement from Peter. So join with me again in verse 4. He says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them. He said, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Remember, it was a long night with no fish. And he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's probably John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped in to the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, so they were only about a hundred yards out. You see, my friend, the first thing that we need to do is run to Jesus. This is where we see Peter take his first step that we want to follow. The first thing we see him do as an encouragement to us, when Peter knows his failure, he knows his shortcomings, he knows what happens, the first thing that he does is run to Jesus. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to run to Jesus. Despite everything that's happened, Jesus realizes that's Jesus. And he says, I got to do everything to get there. And he goes for it. Look again. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Peter, as a fisherman, likely had a garment that he used to walk around. But when he was working, he would take it off. It's too hot when I'm working hard. 
But as soon as he sees Jesus, he grabs everything that he has and he says, I'm taking everything and I'm going that way because that way is to Jesus. And it's the same with you and I. When we're in that place of failure and doubt and we just, I thought I'd never be here again. The first thing we need to do is run to Jesus. And I know that sounds a lot easier than it is. You know, I I work with the kids a lot on Sunday mornings and we do Sunday school and we sing and we, we have our actions that we do and we have Bible stories and coloring pages. But one of my favorite mornings, or one of my favorite times of the morning, sorry, is when I get to see these kids go home, not just because they make me a little bit tired because I'm not as fast as I used to be, but because I get to see kids after a, long, after a morning of worship and learning about Jesus, I get to see them see their parents from the other side of the room. And they scurry and they grab their paper, which is all crumpled, and they grab whatever snack that they have left. And some of them just hightail it over to their parents. I love it. And I'd love to say that that's how I always run to Jesus. But it isn't. One time when I was a kid, I got into some real trouble at my elementary school. You see, a few of my buddies and I, we decided that we could concoct a secret language so that we could call our classmates and even our teachers different names we knew we weren't supposed to. And it was going great and nobody really cared because they didn't know what we were saying. Until one day, we said it to the wrong guy. And this kid would have felt super hurt and left out. And he told his parents, who then told our teacher, who then told our principal. And I was lucky enough to go to a Christian school, so honesty was a pretty high priority at my school. And so one by one, we were all called into the principal's office and we were asked about what the language was, what our secret language really meant. And so I sat there in my moment that I didn't want to be in, never thought I'd be in the principal's office. I had to rattle off all of these different names I'd called my classmates and my teachers. And my principal said, we're going to have to call your father. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty bad one for me. And so I knew that when my dad was going to come and pick me up that day, he was going to know that I had done something wrong. He was going to know what I had done wrong. I'll tell you this, when my dad came to pick me up, I was not running into his arms. I was walking there with my head low, and he said, you know what I know. And I said, yeah, we got to work through this. And it's easier to feel like that sometimes, that we just, we have to walk slowly with our head down back to Jesus. But we don't see that here. We see something better. We see Peter knowing his failures, knowing what he did, and he runs right to Jesus. Why? Because he knows who Jesus is. He knows that he is gracious. He knows that he is faithful to forgive. So that is the first thing I would implore you to do today, is run to Jesus. Run to him today, run to him tomorrow, every day, for every mistake, for every need. Run to Jesus and lay everything at his feet. Because as we see, he doesn't just react the way that we might think. Because something amazing happens when you and I 
run to Jesus. You see, the first thing we need to do is run to him. Because when we run to Jesus, we actually rest with him. Look at, with me at what happens next. In verse 9, it says, When they landed, they saw a fire with coals burning with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Peter ran to Jesus because he knew Jesus wouldn't meet him with condemnation. He's there and he says, let's have some breakfast. Let's eat together. And they share a meal together. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus knows what needs to be said. We see him interact with, with Peter in just a few moments. But the first thing he does is give him rest. The first thing he does is say, I know it's been a long night with no fish. Let's have some breakfast. And he just shares a meal with him. Nobody needs to say anything. Jesus invites them to come and recover. And so they share a meal. Look with me again at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. The disciples knew that it was Jesus because they had seen this exact thing before. They had seen all types of miracles all over the three years that they had been with him. But it's recorded in Luke that when Jesus first actually calls his disciples, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, two of the other disciples here, they were both there and Jesus did this exact thing. After a long night of fishing, he says, cast your nets down and they come up with a great number of fish. And so now they knew that this was Jesus and they knew what he was like and they came and they rest with him. Nobody needs to say anything. They just are going to rest. And I'll be honest, this seems so foreign to me. You know, when I see something wrong, I have a tendency to go, I'm going to fix this, whatever it takes. I got this. Let's get on the move. And I have a problem that I think a few of us have. And if I'm honest, it seems to be more of us men. Um, often my fiance, Bethany, will, will come to me with something, a worry, a stress, something she's anxious about. It could be any number of things. It could be something with work or something with school or something with planning our wedding. And my immediate response is, okay, well, let's do this. She'll come and say, I'm stressed about this. I don't really know what to do. And I'll say, that's perfect because I know what to do. You came to the right person. You got to do this and then you got to line this up and you got to email this person and then we're all good. And I immediately go and fix it. Um, I'm quickly learning that that doesn't work and that's not what she's looking for. What she's looking for is for me to go, I understand. It's okay. We'll work through it. Don't worry. We can do this and just give a little bit of rest, a little bit of a space to go, I know that's a lot. That's not my first instinct. My first instinct is, 
let's get to this. If I was there, I'd be like, Peter, okay, let's work through this, man. But that's not what needs to be done. That's not what Jesus does. He gives them rest. He says, let me, let me love you first and share a meal with you. And then we'll move forward. Jesus is different. He doesn't reel them in with the fish and then say, gotcha, I got you. Look at what you did. Look at what I had to clean up. Look at, look, look at this mess. He doesn't do that. He comes and he provides a place for rest so we can remember who he is. He is still Jesus. He provides a place for us to find mercy, to find grace, to find rest, a place where we are cared for, a place where we are loved first. When we run to Jesus, we rest with him. And I can already hear you in your mind saying, well, that's great. That's great that when I mess up, I can run to Jesus and he's not going to meet me with condemnation. That's good. I understand that. And that's, that's great. But that doesn't change the fact that what happened actually happened. Peter still denied Jesus. I still messed up and I still sinned. I don't want to just ignore the problem. It's still going to weigh on me. I can't, I can't just run away from it and eat fish forever as much as I'd like to. And if that's you today, I want you to know that that's okay because Jesus doesn't just leave us there. Jesus doesn't call us to him and tell us to run here because I'll give you rest and I'll just overlook everything else. He's not going to overlook our sin. He promises to deal with it in a way that is so much better than we ever could have thought. Because when we rest with Jesus, we find restoration. Look with me at what Jesus does next. And keep in mind everything that's been going through Peter's mind. With Jesus predicting his denial, and then Peter actually denying him three times and calling down curses on himself. Look with me again at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And it says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus says, Jesus said to him, follow me. It almost stings, doesn't it? Jesus comes and he addresses Peter in a way that just feels so brutally honest. But he doesn't use words that we would think of as hurtful or words that we would use as shameful. But we know why it hurt. 
And Peter knew why it hurt. Just days earlier, Peter had denied him three times. And now Jesus says, do you love me? Three times. The symmetry here is, it's almost painful. There's no indication that any of the other disciples were with Peter when he denies Jesus. And we never see Peter admit it to his friends. The only people that we know for sure know it are Peter and Jesus. And so here it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, remember what happened. We do have to work through this. That word in verse 17, it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? When it says Peter was hurt, that wasn't a trivial thing. Peter wasn't saying, oh, come on, Jesus, that's, that's too far. That, that kind of stinks, man. It wasn't just a chip off his shoulder. It wasn't just a, okay, come on. The word there, literally, it means to grieve or to be in deep distress. And any one of us who knows what it's like to grieve knows that it hurts us to the core. It shoots through all that I am. Peter knows exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is calling to mind Peter's never again. Peter's I would never moment. But each time he asks, Peter responds. And then Jesus says something that's incredible. He says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. If one of my friends, one of my family, denied knowing me, called down curses upon themselves in front of everybody, this isn't how I would respond. If I heard they were telling people that they didn't even know me, much less that they were my friends or my family, they were denying anything. I do not know him. Keep me away from Josh because I don't know him. I wouldn't respond this way. I would respond, do you care about me? Because over here you, didn't, you said you didn't care about me. Over here you said you didn't even know me and that you never wanted to know me. So which one is it, Peter? Were you lying then or were you lying now? I don't understand. Can you help me? But Jesus is so different. Jesus told Peter before, Peter, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to do it on you. You're going to be the rock on which I build. And through me, you are going to lay a foundation for my kingdom. And it is going to be out of your wildest dreams. You see, Peter, these people are like sheep. And I am their shepherd. And I'm a good shepherd. And they're mine. So you need to take care of them. And so when Jesus says these, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He isn't just telling Peter, remember what happened when you denied me? We're going to work through this. He's not just saying that. What he's really saying is, that thing, that never again, that I would never moment, that doesn't change who you are in my eyes. That doesn't change who you are to me, Peter. Peter, I know that you wanted to go back to your old life. I, want, I know that you think you should just go back to fishing, but I'm not done with you yet. You cannot go back. I told you what I was going to do through you. Your failure doesn't change that. If you love me, and I know you do, you're going to feed my lambs. I'm going away, but you're still called to the life that I gave you. 
And he drives this home further in the next couple of verses. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and somewhere else, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus says to Peter, I still have my plan for you. The life I call you to is not gone just because you fell short. And it's the same for me and you. Here, Jesus restores Peter. In his own mind, he gives Peter the framework back and says, this doesn't change who you are. When we rest with Jesus, we find restoration. That moment, that place where you feel unforgivable, all of your never agains, all of your I would nevers, it's not the case. You're not too far gone. Look at what Jesus has just done. Jesus has just taken Peter, his best friend and confidant, who then came and denied him in front of everybody, and he called down curses on himself to die if he was lying, just to save his own skin. And Jesus says, I'm not done with you yet, Peter. That doesn't change who you are to me. It blows my mind. How? How can he do that? And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, look what I just did. Because when Jesus died on the cross, that moment, he took on himself all of our sin. He took on every single one. Every time I said, I would never. Every time I said, never again. Every time I said, I cannot believe this. He took on every mistake. He took on every failure. Took on every denial. And he put it on his back. And he nailed it to the cross with himself. And he paid for it all with his own life. He paid for it so that you and I could be forgiven. He paid for Peter's denial. He paid for Peter's lies. He paid for my lust and my adultery. And he paid for yours too. He paid for my anger and my sin. And he paid for it so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be restored. And he buried our sin with him. He took it to the grave. And he lays it there and he leaves it there when he rises again. He is risen from the dead and he leaves our sin in the grave so that all we have left is this resurrected savior who brings us rest and restoration and forgiveness. And he restores us every time. So the resurrected savior interacting with him is not there to beat you down. He is not there to heap shame upon shame upon shame. He comes to us and he says, do you love me? I know you do. Let's keep walking the path that I laid for you. So if that's you today, and you've given your life to Christ, you can say, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. I've given my life to him. I want you to know this. There is nothing, nothing you could do that could separate you from his love. There is no too far gone. You know, over the last few months, we've been walking through Romans. And we spent a few weeks in Romans 8. And in Romans 8, 38, remember it says this. Paul says, for I am convinced, I, 
I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor things to come, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Dear friend, let me tell you something. You and your sin are included in nothing else in all of creation. There is nothing that can separate you from Jesus, even your own shortcomings. So run to him and rest with him and be restored by him. You may be wondering, what happened to Peter? Did he finish his life well? Did this restoration actually work? Did he finish the way that God intended for him? Did he finish the way he wanted to? And we actually see this in verse 19, where it says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Church history actually tells us that Peter did finish well. The book of Acts outlines some of the great things that Peter did after Jesus had gone. He preached and he baptized and he did many signs and wonders. And he was the foundation for the global church. And he wrote letters that we see in the New Testament. And then church history tells us that he died bringing glory to God, just like this verse said. Peter ended up being crucified in Rome. But even then he thought, I know all that Jesus has done and I'm not even worthy to die in the same way that he died. So Peter was crucified upside down just so that he would bring all the more glory to God so that when people would see the cross, they would see Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus restores Peter right here. And he calls him to continuously follow him when he says to him, follow me. We run to Jesus for rest and we rest with him for restoration. Just like Peter, he will carry us to the end. He will carry us home. So my friend, know that if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, there is nothing that Jesus cannot restore you from. There is no too far gone. There is no too many mistakes. Run to him over and over and over again because he is faithful to forgive. And if you've joined with us today and you've never taken that step, you've never given your life to Christ, you've never run to Jesus, you've never found rest with him or restoration from him, Maybe you've been scared that when you do run to him, you are going to find that shame and that condemnation. Know that today can be the day you run to Jesus. There is nothing stopping you from running to his arms and finding the care, the rest, the forgiveness that you need. Jesus Christ is our resurrected Savior who gives you rest and who gives you restoration. He does that for us and he can do the same for you. He says that if you come to him and you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive. Rest with him. Make him the Lord of your life. Let him lead you like he led Peter. And know that in that moment, you enter into a relationship with God that can never be broken.
nothing, no mistake, no sin can separate you from him. Jesus still has his hand stretched out to say, follow me. And if like Peter, you would follow him, you will see him do amazing things. Friends, our resurrected Savior restores sinners and he keeps them. He gives them rest and he will never let them go. He provides care, rest, grace, forgiveness, and restoration. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have had to look into your word and see how you interact with us, how you meet us in our lowest moments with grace, a place to find rest, and a place to be restored by you. God, I pray for anyone today who is feeling the weight of their sin and their shame, that they would not hesitate to run to you for the refuge that you are, and that you would give them rest for their souls as you say you will, and that you will give them forgiveness and restoration. Bring them back to you and to your amazing kingdom. God, we thank you today for what you've shown us through Peter. We thank you for his faithful testimony, and we thank you for all that you are doing in the world around us to continue to show us that you are a resurrected Savior who restores us. Help us to run to you, to rest with you, and to be restored by you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.